Hey guys, this is Alex, and welcome to the Two Dudes Brews and Reviews podcast. Today, we're talking about John Carpenter's classic 1982 film, The Thing, a standalone movie that definitely was not remade in 2011. We also talk about our overall relationship with horror movies, and Austin details a night where he was harassed by some drunk guys while out delivering pizza. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing to the podcast and maybe even tell your friends about us. With that being said, we hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, bro. What's been happening? Well, I got the second COVID vaccine shot. Uh Uh-huh. Your lymph nodes swell up. Uh, no. Mine did bad. I felt mostly fine. I know most people get really sick from that second shot. And Olivia, my wife, was fucking destroyed for three or four days. Really? I was just tired. I had trouble sleeping, actually, for a couple of days after that. And when I did get to sleep, I couldn't get up in the morning. Like, I had a whole lot of trouble getting out of bed. That's really it, though. Well, I wanted to tell you about a story, like a little something that happened to me last night. It was super strange. So, like, my last delivery of the night was out to Mutt's, and... The delivery was to like it's like four dudes sitting at the at one of the tables next to the bar, and you know, our, our friend Ryan was working and everything. It looked like these dudes were in the army because they, they might like be there at the army reserve station that's right next to the bar. Perfect place to put it, right next to the bar. You know, the boys got to go out. I deliver the pizza to these guys, tell them to have a good night, and on my way out, this guy at the bar top right next to the door says, "He said, hey, hey, whoa, 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 <laughs> everybody's super fucked up. It's oh, like God. one o'clock in the morning," and he said. He said, stand there. And I was like so caught off guard. And he says, turn around. Let me bounce this quarter off that ass. <laughs> and I was like, I said, no, fuck you, man. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, I had waved to Ryan already and everything and said, hey. But then this guy at the other side of the bar, as I'm trying to get out of leave, says, no, hey, come over here. Come over here. Like kept waving me over. And like Ryan's like, awesome, awesome. I went over there and he goes, here, take this. He gave me a $50 bill. And I said, what for? And he goes, for dealing with all of our shit. And I said, okay, <laughs> thanks. What the fuck? It was so strange. That seems worth it, it to me. It was awesome. Yeah. I was like, I'll get fucking catcalled in the bar for 50 bucks. Yeah, fuck yeah. It was so weird, though. It was so strange. He wanted to bounce a quarter off my ass. Why? I don't to know. To see how like tight the pants were or something? Dude, because I guess I must have a big ass. <laughs> I mean, I'm not stupid. I know I have a nice looking rear end, but like... <laughs> God damn, it was so it was like so aggressive. I was like, God damn, man. Other than that, big chilling. People want to bounce quarters off my ass, trying to get engaged. That'll be fun. Won't talk about it too much on the podcast, but it's getting real, man. It's getting real, real fast. I'm getting old. It's just so strange. It's fucking zooming by. 2021's almost over already. Yeah, I feel like I've barely even been conscious of this year because like a majority of the year was still locked up. You know, we didn't really go anywhere. And, like, we've just now been back to, like, concerts and stuff recently. I'm going to the movie theater for the first time in, like, two years almost. Like, this weekend to go see Dune. Dude, I love going to the movies. That's my favorite date night, you know? Like, going to the movies with my girlfriend, getting a bite to eat. Like, I'm hyped. I love going to a movie at, like, a packed, like, 9 o'clock showing or something. Where, like, everybody kind of interacts with the movie. Like, people scream and laugh. That's clap. always fun. It's like a shared experience, but like you don't know anybody or like make contact with people, but everybody knows what the fuck's going on. Uh huh. 
It's like a concert, you know? It's like a concert. Dude, I've been watching nothing but horror movies mm-hmm. since it's like October and stuff. I'm not a big horror guy, and I know I'm that sounds kind of funny considering the topic of today's episode. I watched like It, Chapter 1 and 2. I hate the first one. They're so middle of the road to me. The second one felt like a Marvel movie, but like horror. Where like... <laughs> Like it's <laughs> wait what? <laughs> like horror movies shouldn't be made on like one hundred and fifty million dollar budgets. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It should be like in that thirty million or below mark. Like they're getting chased by a giant CGI spider with a clown head at the end, oh and I'm like, this is so stupid. Horror movies, not a big fan. Actually, this movie felt more like a mystery than a horror movie, which is something that I could I digested well. I know you had mentioned that your wife couldn't stomach some of the parts of this movie, and I barely, yep. I barely could, especially like that first autopsy and stuff. I was like, oh. "This movie is fucking disgusting." Yeah, it's nasty. It's probably one of the nastiest movies I've ever seen. Like, if not the nastiest. Is it like more gory than Saw? Yeah, probably. Really? I've never seen any of the Saw films. I've seen I, like the first five. I've I've done that on purpose. Remember my adolescence, like. All my friends loved horror movies, and like a lot of my friend group would like go see them as a friend group, like together in theaters and stuff. And I'm like, they're just stupid and like mm-hmm. boring to me. Like I remember back then, like I would like I liked The Life of Pi and like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty <laughs> and like Goodwill Hunting, and they're like, bro, we're gonna go see Ouija, like the Ouija board <laughs> movie in theaters. And I went with them, and I was like, this is so dumb. I'm like, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And they're all like, that was so good. And I was like, am I the only one awake here? Like, what's going on? I don't think it's that horror movies just suck, but like, they're made with like, no care yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, they're- we'll make this movie on like a $2 million budget. We'll get it easy, $50 million at the box office. Cheap is the key word. The scares are cheap. The jump scares, the fucking... Plot sucks. Yeah. It's the- always like some weird tie-in to like, fucking a video or like a past uh exorcism or past demon Uh that looms over the town there's like some classics that i like a lot i recently watched the original halloween Uh and like i think that's like a perfect movie for Mm. uh at least what it is like the slasher thing i love the scream movies scream one scream is so good i watched scream two the other night actually is that the one where he gets stabbed through the stall because he puts his ear up to the stall. Yeah, it's Omar Epps. He gets stabbed <laughs> in the head. And his girlfriend's Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like that one as much as the first one. No, the first one's... The first one's like a classic, dude. It's it's The, the mystery's so good. You cut me real deep, man. <laughs> oh, my God. After I saw that for the first time, we would just say that around the house. Go, feel a little woozy, man. Like, so funny. <laughs> it's such like a, a meme quality line. Oh, yeah. That movie knew what it was doing. It was like shaggy, dude. It's like straight up satire at times. Before we hop into the thing, Uh Austin, what are we drinking today? Yeah, I don't want to forget. We're drinking Rheingeist. It looks like some sort of uh, like limited edition special run. We're doing a. It's a nitro stout. It's called Penguin, and it is uh, a blonde stout, and it's got cacao and um, coffee. It's very good. I think it's in collaboration with like maybe a local. coffee company maybe i'm not sure three weavers it looks like i'm guessing so i've never been to if it's even a coffee shop it might just be like a company that produces espresso Mm -hmm. beans and stuff it's really good yeah it's uh it looks like an amber ale we mentioned that because it's so it's a blonde stout 
it's not super dry. It's just like really velvety and smooth. It's like a like a mild, you know, light to medium body coffee. Like you can barely taste the alcohol in this. At least to me, like I think it's so smooth it like is a very uniform. It really does just taste like straight up coffee with like carbonation and stuff. It reminds me of like I know you've probably never had it, but like it reminds me of like Ethiopian Yurkachev coffee. It's like a the single origin stuff. Very fruity, very like got a lot of fruity um, notes in it. Shit. Mm. This is what this this tastes like. Look at us, we're sophisticated notes. Look at us, the <laughs> luxurious spoiled white man talking about our fucking coffee notes. Yeah, it's really good. Not what I expected, to be quite honest with you. Me either. Usually with a stout, you like pick it up and hold it to the light, and you like can't even see through it. It's like window tint, bro. The stuff's like red. It's really good though. It's seven percent, and you would not know. Damn, it's seven percent. We gotta be careful. We're on a stout kick. We're moving into the fall and the winter seasons. But yeah, man, I'm hyped. My like relationship with horror movies, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of horror. The only like good classic horror film that I can like really draw draw on is like Scream. I've seen a few of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, and I recently watched Alien for the first time. That movie's super tasteful. Obviously, it's you know, a beloved classic film. It's a great movie. But it's, you know, technically like a sci-fi horror film. But, like, it sells it to me. It's not, like, playing on, like, horror tropes and shit. Mm-hmm. And this movie, like, doesn't really play on any tropes either. It's kind of like a whodunit film. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of kind of, like, Scream, even, like, Knives Out in a way of, like, people trying to figure out who who's the bad guy, creating that tension throughout the whole film. We might get to like a resolution at the end. Like we'll get there. We'll talk about it. But oh yeah, yeah. It's just it's really obscure as far as like horror movie goes. Super weird plot. Like if you want to like give a little uh, synopsis to kind of lay down like why it's different. So this movie takes place in 1982, mm-hmm. which is the year the film came out in Antarctica, mm-hmm. one of the most isolated, lonely places on the planet. It's about a bunch of researchers in Antarctica. One day, a Norwegian helicopter from a neighboring camp, a couple miles down. Shows up and they're chasing a dog, a fucking dog. Like looks like a Siberian husky. These dudes are shooting at it. They get out of the helicopter and one dude even throws a grenade and accidentally blows himself up. Uh-huh. Uh But we come to find out that the dog is not what it seems. I think it's kind of apparent before it even like shows its true form. Uh-huh. It don't act like a dog. Super strange. But we find out that. The dog is actually some kind of extraterrestrial alien from another planet. That crash landed on Antarctica. And like the the movie kind of spoon feeds this information as it goes. Like we learn more about the creature itself. We learn that it can replicate any living organism perfectly, Mm -hmm. including humans. And then, like you said, the whodunit aspect. It turns into a game of who's the thing and who's not the thing. The paranoia that comes with that. Remember, like, when the movie first came on, I'm like, why are they shooting at this dog? My wife was saying the same thing. Yeah. Well, I didn't say it. <laughs> I thought... I thought well, me being a man, why, <laughs> when I watch a film, I uh, I have uh, internal dialogue. <laughs> my wife wouldn't stop talking the first time I watched this. <laughs> I had to watch it two other times by myself oh, to Jesus really Christ. take it in. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think to yourself, like, why are they shooting at this dog? Why is it such a big deal? And then, like, the officer or, like, a marshal, like, in the research camp, like, pretty much the only one that's, like, I guess that holds a gun probably, uh, he ends up shooting the the guy that's uh, shooting at the dog. Mm-hmm. I think the the guy accidentally grazes uh, 
one of the researchers hits him in the leg or something, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, going into it, you're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And I think shortly after that, like, it's kind of like, we like don't pay attention to the characters when we pay more attention to like the dog, like the, the shot, like kind of like stays still in the dog. And the dog is like observant of the humans. And it's like, hmm, that's not how a dog acts. No. It kind of acts like a dog when it first shows up in camp because uh-huh. it like goes to the humans for protection, uh-huh. like hops up on him, licks his face. But once they go inside and the dog feels comfortable, it's stalking these people, uh-huh. kind of. You get to see that like the dog, it's like we get introduced to our characters and stuff and like uh, obviously Kurt Russell and like the rest of the cast and uh, the shot is pretty much, they always end up focusing on the dog because the dog will like walk through the frame. There's one particular scene where... It's like that evening or something. The dog is like walking down through the hallways of like this compound. And like you get to see one of the humans. We don't know what character it is. It's just a silhouette like cast shadowed on a wall. And the dog like goes into that room. And it's like super ominous. Gives you that feeling of like, wait, something's going on here. Like starts planting those seeds of doubt and like curiosity. Because like you're drawing back to like, why are they shooting at the dog? Why is the camera focused on the dog? And now why is this dog going into this room all menacing looking? It like helps sow those seeds of doubt as a viewer. You know, John Carpenter for the silhouette guy cast an entirely different actor. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't like pinpoint who it is. Uh His silhouette, he might be wearing a hat. He might have curly hair. You honestly can't tell really. I wanted to talk about that because, like, we'll get down to, like, the who was the first infected. I want to talk about, like, those conspiracies and stuff. I I did a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. And, like, and I think I know who it is. Or, like, I think if we, like, connect the dots, like, it might be right. But who knows? It's just a a film. (laughs) But, yeah, like, uh, all of our characters are, like, drunks, basically. Like, they all drink. Especially our main character, Kurt Russell, is, like... I don't think there is a scene without him drinking alcohol in it almost. Like, it seems like anytime he's in leisure activity, he's, like, drinking. Yep. And why the <laughs> fuck does he pour alcohol all over, like, the computer? I'm like, that was so aggressive. Like The, the chess wizard? Yeah. He was like, <laughs> instead of being like, okay, I'm done, he's like, yeah, fuck this. I'm pouring alcohol in the fucking motherboard. It's something that'll come up later, but I think it's an important character moment, and it kind of foretells the ending of the movie. I don't know if you caught that or not, but we'll get into that as soon as, like, whenever we get there. But yeah, it's a funny character moment, because it's the first time you see him, really, aside from, like, the chaos when the Norwegians show up. Yeah. After that, stuff calms down, and you get, like, the camp interacting with each other. And this is a really big cast to, like, keep track of. I think there's 12 guys there, maybe. The good thing about the film is they all kind of have their own characterization, like Kurt Russell is the isolated guy. He has his own guard shack. Yeah. He's off on his own, drinking, playing mm-hmm. chess wizard and losing. The stoner guy, yeah, who I really love actually. <laughs> I think his name's Palmer. Yeah, the, the guy with like the uh, he's wearing like a death metal denim jacket with like the patches on it. And is he the guy with um, the glasses? Does he wear like the sunglasses? No, that's the radio guy. The, that's Windows. The guy. Are you talking about the guy with the curly hair? It's the other guy with the curly hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one that offers to uh, pilot them to the Norwegian base. Yeah. And they're like, fuck no. And he's and he says something like, oh, thanks for thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, this movie's kind of funny sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And you get to even see, like, the uh, the characters interact, like, how they would, like, in a compound. They kind of create, like, one of the characters is, like, 
somebody left their dirty ass underwear in like the sink or something mm-hmm. and like they t- he tosses it on like a pinball machine or something yeah i guess like it's to be expected of how like a large group of men would act if they were like all in one big house and like they're all tasked with certain duties like one guy's a cook one guy's a doctor one guy's basically the cop yeah they all have like their own roles and i think it's kind of important that they seem like friends but they seem like friends that have been stuck together for too long because everybody in this movie is like exhausted and i don't think they tell you how long they've been there no at that base but like the point of uh isolation and like despair has already set in it's like you know if you were like they're working like a man's job like you're away from women you're away from friends and family like even though they may be friends, it's like almost like forced friendship because you're on the job with these people. You have to learn to get along. They're probably a little sick of each other because uh. even when the one scientist comes up to Kurt Russell, it's a little later on, but he says like, come on, Mac, we need to go out and talk outside. And he says like, I don't, I'm tired of talking. I just want to go to my shack and get drunk. Like that's yeah. pretty much everybody's emotion in this movie. Also, the scene, the dog, when he comes underneath the table, that scene in particular... Do you notice like the camaraderie is super low? Like the uh, the mood of the room is super low. Like everybody's like just going through the motions. A couple guys are playing cards. A couple guys are playing pool. There's no like laughing. They're not like, even com- talking. No, really. no, no. It's like almost a silent scene. Like all you can hear is the balls breaking and like people laying down cards and like shuffling poker chips and shit. And it's like just a small little thing like that. Like it's just show like these guys like while they may be interacting, they aren't that close. No. Which plays into, like, helps fuel, like, the distrust aspect of the film. Mm-hmm. But, like, when the dog comes underneath the table, we kind of, like, get our... After we, like, have established that the dog is in the compound that isn't really a dog, you kind of get to know everybody, and then the dog, they have to put the dog up with the other dogs. This is where we get introduced to the thing. And I wasn't expecting it to happen like this. I thought it was going to be, like... A slow reveal. A person... You know, the dog would infect a person and, like, a person would show, like, the uh, the antagonist part of the film. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. But, like, it's straight up just shown to everyone right mm-hmm. here, like, in the first, you know, it's, like, 20, 30 minutes in. Because we, we've already went to, like, the Norwegian compound where, like, the helicopter was from and, like, wh- they were trying to figure out why the fuck that guy came shooting at the dog. Like, they all thought he, they went mad or something. Like, and they're, like, they can, like sympathize with that because they're all tired and exhausted and wore out like <laughs> they're like yeah well enough time you know five minutes out here is enough to make a man go mad just look at palmer he was like this on day one uh-huh. they go and ex- you know and this scene compound scene was like when they went to the norwegian camp it's like the whole fucking building is like torn apart some of it's still smoldering and this like, is like foreshadowing what's to come of course and i knew mm-hmm. that was going to come eventually because I've seen the end of this movie before outside the context of the film, like as far as like analysis goes. But yeah, like this guy's like neck and wrist are slid open and like like the building's blown in half, like holes in the walls. They find a big block of ice that's like mm-hmm. been thawed out and like something was clearly in there. And they find the corpse of some kind of burnt up creature that like, it looks oh, like yeah. two or three humans like strung together. Uh-huh. It's uh, It's got two heads it's a uh, nasty yeah and the face is like split in half and stuff like it was like, like mid transformation uh, before it happened they so they bring back that autopsy right and i think this happens before like the dog goes underneath the table and stuff yeah but like we're kind of shown that like something's not right here and then it's kind of apparent that like the dog is playing a role at this point 
it's watching them when they're doing the autopsy because uh-huh. it, it cuts to it and it's like in the doorway just staring a hole through these people. Uh-huh. Yeah, like uh, we get like introduced to like our doctor character and he's like the autopsy guy and we're talking about like... Dude, Mr. Diabetes himself, uh-huh. Wilfred, <laughs> Wilfred Brimley. I who, didn't even notice that. You know like, that's him? Because he has a mustache in that in that video. Oh, yeah, he's uh, he's shaved in this movie. Diabetes. Dude, diabetes, he's, diabetes. He's fucking great in this, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and he, he like does the autopsy and he's like pulling out like human organs and stuff like heart lung and like that shit was disgusting oh dude it's so grotesque i like had to like (laughs) look away away, like just listen to the sound of like mush and moving around that's nasty well they find out that all the organs are human Mm -hmm. completely human indistinguishable from a regular autopsy yeah yeah you know except for the double head and the fact that like limbs are out and like bent around and Mm -hmm. shit i'm not a big fan of like body horror at all uh i'm not either this movie was criticized really heavily when it came out because uh you know siskel and ebert like the uh they had a review show i don't know if it was on tv or not back in the day you never heard of roger ebert no like the big movie critic from the 80s and 90s Mm -mm. they famously i think they said this was like the quintessential moron movie of the 80s what? Like this was hated when it came out. Yeah, and, I, I I heard. And the uh, I think the gore, like the practical it's effects, super off-putting for like the time. Oh yeah, we haven't really gone into it, but yeah, the movie was hated when it came out. This came out in the summer for one. That's the first big no-no. It's a movie about Antarctica. It came out like two weeks after E.T. did, and like <laughs> and everybody loves E.T. Yeah, including me. Like I fucking I've not seen that in so long. Oh, dude. it's great. It's a it's a great movie. But, like, that movie, you know, E.T., lovable, cute, friendly alien, and then this comes out two weeks later, and it's this big, gory, like, mm. you know, the alien is Satan, Devil. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, they got it so wrong. Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of horror, but, like, I actually really enjoyed a lot of this film. I can tell it's practical effects. Like, I'm not stupid. Like, it's definitely dated in that aspect, but, like, I still enjoy the effort and, like... <laughs> It'll still gross you out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's still so fucking gross. Oh, nasty. And especially, like, the dog transformation scene. Like, it it looks like a giant body mass and, like, the dog's face peeling back and stuff. Oh, dude. We're going to have to go into detail from, like, the beginning of the scene. Piss break. Talk about this, uh... This fucking grotesque way to mutilate a dog. <laughs> the, the dog kennel scene. Shoo. I don't know if I'm going out on a limb when I say this, but I think this might be one of my new favorite movie scenes of all time, like the entire sequence. <laughs> There's nothing wrong about that. I just feel like from beginning to end, it's just built so it's a great masterfully. Rev- it's like, a great reveal. You know, we were talking about the dog goes on the table. they you're like, come on, you got to put this fucking dog up with the rest of them. I guess, like, one guy that might be a, in charge of the dogs. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. It's uh, Clark, the big grizzly flannel guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he puts the dogs up. The dog doesn't even act like the dog. And it's like, so you know shit's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's coming in, and it, like, just sits down, like, in it's the got, middle of the room. It's got this, like, thousand-yard stare, like, out into the... Mm-hmm. Out into nothing. It's not looking at the other dogs. It's uh-huh. not looking Does back at Clark. sniff the dog. They no. don't even sniff it, like... 
I feel like I gotta praise the the dog acting. In yeah, this part. I was thinking about it the whole time. You know, I'm like, because you know they have trainers work with animals for movies and stuff, and it's like they train this dog really well because the dog acts so undog like, and I'm sure it has something to do with like the way it's shot and like the direction of the camera and like they, yeah, they probably had to cut it strategically mm-hmm. in case a dog did something it wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to, because there's like six dogs in the scene mm-hmm. and they all most Lay of them down. are laying down they don't get up they don't react to the the dog coming in mm-hmm. until it's been sitting there for a few seconds but yeah this is the part of the movie where shit gets real really fucking quick mm-hmm. the dog like <laughs> peels its fucking face into four it looks like the demigorgs off of uh like stranger things yeah it like it blossoms like a flower, uh-huh. and its skull falls out, and like the tongue's still in there. Oh, dude, it's like stomach churning. It's disgusting. And like that's not even the end of it. No, because like these tentacles start coming out of its torso, mm-hmm. and it's making this rattlesnake mm-hmm. kind of sound. The reaction shots from the other dogs really make the scene mm-hmm. because they're freaking out, they're snarling. One of the dogs, like, bites the fucking, like, tries to bite the chicken wire, like, Uh oh, my God, like, trying to peel itself out of there. Like, the smart one, the smart dog trying to get out. Yep. And you made a good point about the whole everybody discovers the thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because in other movies, yeah, like, it'd be one person. They would see something, and they go back and say, hey, I just saw something. Mm -hmm. And they go back to the kennel, and dog's gone. It'll all be normal. Yeah, exactly. And it'd be like, oh, you're crazy, dude. Yeah. No. Everybody's let in on the secret right Mm -hmm. away. Makes it so much better. Everybody's reaction, like, uh, I think Kurt Russell is, like, in the kitchen or something from Mm -hmm. far away. He hears the commotion, so he pulls the fire alarm. He doesn't fuck around. He doesn't go and check it out by himself. It's like no, no, he, gets, no. he gets everybody in there at the same time. And like everybody's like, it's really late at night. So like some of the guys are already in bed. Some of the guys were still playing pool and cards uh-huh. and shit. And like everybody <laughs> comes together as a group here. So everybody sees the problem. Like no one's left out. And I don't think at this point it's been established. Like they figure out what the thing is. Because I think after this they go back and like the doctor reviews like some of the, the, the cells or whatever mm-hmm. and all that. We'll get to that. But excuse me. Fucking Miller High Life gives you a. Miller High Life pregame gives you a, a good burp. Um, you call it Miller pregame? Yeah. It's a good uh, it's a way to put it. Yeah. But yeah, everybody gets, and they bring like the flamethrower in already. Like they, I think they shoot at it and stuff, but like nothing happens. And they're like, no, you need the, the fucking flamethrower. Go grab the flamethrower. Well, they're shooting it and like you can see patches of it come off and like this green slime spews out of it. Oh. It's so nasty. But I love the line of dialogue where, um, Bennings, the red-haired guy, mm-hmm. he goes and gets Childs, and he's like, Max says to go get the flamethrower, and he says, the what? He said, that's what he said, now move. Like, shit just yeah. amped up right away. Uh-huh. Get the fucking flamethrower. I don't know what this thing is. And I think Kurt Russell's character, he, you know, uh, McCready, he's all right, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's so isolated and, like, doesn't want to talk to anybody. You know, we already know that he, like, prefers to, like be away from everybody and he might not have shared the information of like he noticed all like the kerosene and like everything at the at the other compound was on fire right so he already knows you know and he's already figured out in his head that this thing's got to be burnt to shit because like even the body they picked up like they were trying to burn it yeah so they fucking torched the shit out of this thing and then like doesn't it like it keeps transforming even more when they when they actually witness it because it looks like a dog with no fur or skin Mm mm-hmm but then, like, these 
arms come out of it. Like these like big bear claw looking arms like come up to the ceiling and stuff. And it's like trying to crawl its way out of the room. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of confused because of the continuity of the shot. Like I thought that part of it had escaped. Mm. But that's not the case because when Childs torches it, you see it fall from the ceiling. Mm. So I was a little confused on that on my first viewing. It's transformation... It's like chest opens up and this weird flower heart comes out mm. and like it's got eyeballs all over it. It's one of the it's nastiest things man. I've ever fucking it's seen. It's disgusting. It's like it's like Satan spawn, dude. And like I don't know if you ever played the you remember the game Bloodborne? Uh I've played it briefly. Yeah. Just like stuff like this reminds me of games like Dark Souls and like mm. specifically Bloodborne cuz Bloodborne was all about like religious like transformational like mm. weird shit like kind of like uh werewolf and vam- vampiric shit it's super weird but it just reminded me of that because like all like this body mutilation and stuff and like almost looks like a failed experiment you know of like someone trying to breed a, a human dog thing it's yeah super disgusting but the, do they kill it they burn it is that what happens because it doesn't escape right they, uh no they, torch they it out of the out of the ceiling they torch it on site the thing gets out a different way yes. as we find out later because we got a reference back to the dog went into the room mm-hmm. alone with another human. And there's also that corpse they brought back that uh-huh. wasn't fully burned from the other camp. By the way, one last comment before we leave the, the kennel scene. You know how I always say that I laugh at things uh, when they're violent in movies? Do not laugh. No, not at all. I've seen people stabbed, burnt, drowned, beat to death, decapitated, uh, all sorts of shit. Riddled with bullets, arrows, knives, and I can laugh at stuff like that because it's so over the top. Yeah, and this movie is over the top too, but uh, the thing itself is so nasty and horrifying that, like, even on my third viewing, when this scene comes up, there's like this pit in my heart that mm-hmm. is rejecting it. It's like mm-hmm. humans shouldn't see this, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, I, I love it, but it, it absolutely is repulsive to me. Just just to preface, you're not insane for laughing at violence. You laugh at things because you laugh at the unexpected. Like yeah. one of the biggest things. Eric Andre, for example, I don't know if I've mentioned him on the podcast before, but like the reason why it's so funny is because it's so absurd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you don't realize that you're laughing, but you just are because things are just happening that like you can't believe are happening. Like like I bet you laugh at like at like once upon a time in Hollywood, where they fucking he bashes her head in. Like I bet you like any any Tarantino. That shit's hilarious. Yeah, it's so funny. He just cut that bitch's head off and killed Bill. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I also love how after they torch the thing, there's no like celebration of winning. Uh-uh. Everybody's so disturbed by what they just saw. Uh-huh. The camera pans across everybody's reaction, and everybody just looks like their world's been turned upside down. Mm -hmm. It's a great little detail. Could you imagine, though, like, seeing that? Ugh. It's like, your reality has changed for you now. Mm -hmm. Like, this shit exists, and it's out there. And this is when they all come together and go back to the the autopsy body, and they realize that they're dealing with something a little bit different here. And I think they already knew that. There's almost, like, this sense of, like, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Like, they all, like, are just trying to go back to, like, the normal... You know, hours of operation of the compound and just like forget that like they've found this giant fucking disgusting mutilated body. Wilfred Brimley's character is kind of the main brain behind like the exposition. Like he's the one that finds out like, okay, well this thing was trying to absorb the other dogs mm-hmm. to like 
I don't know, like get bigger or be stronger. I don't know. It was already a dog, so why well, would it, it absorb the other ones? Maybe, well, it would have infected the other dogs and there would have just been more things. Uh, they would have all been dogs. One of my favorite things about the movie is the mythology of the thing itself isn't explained that much. It's uh-huh. not over-explained because it's only what they can infer from like scientific analysis. And they, they find like the old tapes and stuff from the other camp, from mm-hmm. the Norwegian camp, and like they play them back. And, like, are trying to figure out, like, okay, they must have found this thing. And then, like, you know, they actually went back to the site and, like, saw, like, the giant ship and stuff. And, like, can I comment on this? Yeah, go ahead. It's, like, a matte painting. Yep. And like Very 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, you can tell so much because, like, they're on, like, a green screen, basically. I'm like, ah, fucking limitation of the time, man. Did you watch the 4K ver- or, like, the the HD remaster? I would assume so. I bought it on Vudu, and I bought like the, okay. the Ultra HD version. But I monitor that I watched it on is only goes up to HD. It's like fourteen forty p. So I can only watch it in like high definition. But I didn't watch like a four K okay. remaster. Whatever that file of that's, they use on Vudu, that's I what think I got it, was, to see. it was probably like the most up to date version that you could get. It's probably like what's you. on the Blu Ray, you know. I watched the DVD version. I think that was released in like the 90s. Oh my god. So the matte painting fuzzy. The matte painting stuff wasn't as obvious to me uh, even when I watched it on like the the big flat screen. Maybe for the better for me. That's what I said. That's what I texted you. You said I watched it like a DVD copy and I'm like that's probably a good thing. One of the things with Alien, if you watch like a 4K remaster, it's apparent the tricks they used back uh, then. Because like breaks the magic. The ship is like a matte painting and stuff. Like all these things are like, Um, you know, like they're, you know, Star Wars, for example, like the OG Star Wars, like those are all models that they used and like tracked mm -hmm. through space and stuff. Like, so some of that magic works when you watch it in like that original format. But like when I watch it in HD, I'm like, oh no, that does not look okay. (laughs) I knew that I had texted you after I watched it the first time Mm -hmm. and I said, I'm going to rent the HD version because this one's not cutting it, but it's because the first time I watched it, I watched it on a smaller TV in my bedroom Mm. and my other viewings were out in the living room in the bigger TV. So it looked better, but still dated enough Mm. to where like it hid the magic. Mm -hmm. I thought the effects still really worked in that format, at least for me. (laughs) No, I bet. Like (laughs) I would have preferred to watch it. I should have watched it in standard definition, honestly. Mm. I need to think about that and the next time we move through like older films and stuff. Like I have all the definitions available to me when I buy them on Voodoo and stuff because you get like standard definition, high definition, and like 4K. Some of the beauty is wrapped up in that, that older format. Some of the best music sounds super fuzzy because of the way it was recorded and stuff. You know, like some of the Beatles albums are like super buzzy and like they have like that warm vinyl sound to them but once you get to like hd remasters it's like it kind of removes some of that original magic that happens uh-huh you know? we need to talk about like the like they go back and like the doctor reviews uh like the cells and like recognizes that like the way this thing establishes a host you know it's almost like parasitical we'll just like imitate it like they've learned that like the cells it comes on like a cellular level and like it will imitate other cells around it and like so then that's how it makes like that perfect copy you know if you like really start to think about it the movie can kind of fall apart in this way it's like established that like 
eventually like they establish like oh like it must rip through clothes and stuff right because it can't replicate exterior has uh, to, accessories has to uh replicate uh organic life if you really think about it like when like the it takes over a host like they're like outfit kind of like stays the same you know like uh i don't know if like uh, the guy does the some of the we only see one example of it oh. in real time it's when the redhead guy gets it uh-huh. and you see his ripped up clothes in the chair but when he's running outside he's wearing like a big coat uh-huh. so you can't see what he's wearing underneath i just assume that the thing is smart enough to like if you look at some of the shots in the movie there's like coats hanging freely like it could break into mm. somebody's room, take a pair of long johns or mm. something, you know. But it is, it does get like that scene happens so fast that you wonder, well, how could it have done that that quick? Well, it also talks about like on a cellular level, like some people like they eventually establish like you know we should eat out of cans, we should like not share things. I don't know. They talk about not sharing drinks and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and like everybody should eat out of cans and like, but like then you got to look back to like the the clothing that they throw on that pinball machine is like tattered and ripped and like Kurt Russell's playing with it. And it's like, well, it's like any sort of like matter is there cells on that thing. Yeah. Cause there's blood on it. Yeah. So yeah, stuff like that happens. It's a little confusing. It's like kind of like a continuity issue, but like, honestly the movie happens so like fast and so dramatic. Like the movie is kind of overwhelming in that aspect where you're not really sitting there thinking about like those small little details until like maybe after the fact or like unless you do research like I did or, you know, try mm-hmm. to look up videos and try to learn more about like the film franchise and like, you know, because there was a remake of this movie and it's actually a prequel. Uh huh. And like an extended universe, like comics yeah. and stuff. I don't think uh, John Carpenter even signed a- off accepts yeah. that one. He actually, he considers. The PS2 game mm-hmm. <laughs> that came out in the early 2000s to be a acceptable sequel, sequel. to the movie, mm. which is kind of weird. Dude, PlayStation 2. Fuck yeah. I was actually watching videos of the game. Really? Uh, today. I was just curious. Uh-huh. I'm like, is this some kind of weird cash grab? Apparently the game plays in with the mechanics of the movie where you have to trust the other people of the team and they could be the uh. thing. And like you have like a trust meter. Sometimes you have to prove that you're not the thing by giving yourself a blood test. Ah. Uh, kind of cool. I can't wait to get to that scene. Oh, yeah. Some of the things, like, if you th- sit there and analyze them, too, like, they're kind of like little plot holes, but it doesn't really draw away from the movie at all. The movie actually leaves more questions unanswered, and it's not, like, distasteful or, like, draws away from the film itself. It doesn't leave you—it doesn't give you so much information— that you can be like, no, 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 that doesn't work. It's vague enough to yes. work on its own. So yeah, we find out like the the cells replicate each other. Like the guy has like some sort of weird sixteen bit computer <laughs> like animation, you know, super dated. It's like an it, alien. It's like a program that would never exist. Uh-huh. Where it's like saying seventy five percent chance that I'm like, what program is this? How does it? Infer That's what that? they do in Alien too. How does, like, the program know, like, oh, this is what's going to happen? It was an exposition, the program, basically. Because they did the same thing in Alien, where, like, it's, like, this big computer room, and it's, like, talking about, it's some sort of artificial AI that, like, figures out all these, like, complicated equations and stuff based on the data you put in, and it's, like, that's believable in that movie, but, like, in this movie, it's, like, wait a second, 
1982, not like, you know, 2200 or whatever the fuck aliens set in. Yeah. Like, the text is only there to communicate to the audience what's happening. Yeah. It must be just like a sign of the times kind of thing in the 80s where it's like this big, probably like a big tech boom. Most people probably didn't have a computer at home, mm-hmm. so they could get away with something like this. Like... Oh, that's what computers do. And that's evident in, like, in Alien, like, the computer lines the walls. And, like, kind of, like, in this movie, too, like, when the doc is busting all the fucking communication stuff up, giant fucking panels on the wall, like, all the communication stuff is, like, built into the compound. Like, it's it's a room. Like, it's not a, just, like, a desktop computer. It's just a giant wall yep. of fucking, like, electronics and communications and stuff. Uh, Wilford Brimley. Blair, whatever his name is, learning this, in, learning this information leads him to have a mental breakdown mm-hmm. where he starts destroying the chopper. Every time I say chopper, I want to say chapa, like fuck, like get uh, to the chapa, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. But <laughs> we don't know if Wolfram Brimley was destroying all this equipment because he was worried that the rest of the group was gonna like become exposed to the rest of the world. Like he's trying to protect humankind, or if he's the thing. And he's trying to isolate everybody and, like, yeah. you know, take over more humans. Because as we learn later on, it becomes more powerful by doing that. Yeah. And, like, even, like, the uh, the computer AI's, like, human population takeover in 27,000 hours or whatever. Uh-huh. I love the scene where they, like, are all trying to console him and the calming down. And uh-huh. he's, like, he's shooting at people, like, his friends, you know. Uh-huh. And his delivery of the line where he starts to shoot at Childs, and he says, I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so fucking top, funny, dude. dude. He he had low blood sugar or something, mm-hmm. you know? His diabetes was acting up. <laughs> you know what's funny? I really enjoyed the way they, like, tackled him down because he ran out of ammo. Then he, like, uses the axe, and then, like, Kurt Russell, his character, McCready, like, picks up a table, like, a big uh, wooden table, and, like, has Wilford Brimley, like, his character, like, puts the axe through the through the table, like, trying to swing at him, and then they push him down into a corner, and then, like, they fucking knock him out, like, they uh-huh. beat him up and shit, like, jump him. It's one of the good things about the movie. The characters are smart. Yeah. They're like, not stupid in horror movies, like... Oh my god, what's that like Allstate or like Geico commercial where they're like you ever seen that? I know you don't watch TV, but I've I've only ever seen it from like watching football games or something <laughs> with my family. It's an older commercial, but like it's talking about like don't be dumb in a like people in horror movies and they're like he's like, Okay, let's go hide behind those chainsaws <laughs> and they're like, Well, why wouldn't we just get in that running car? And they're like, Are you stupid? The killer even the killer is like shaking his head (laughs) like yeah like people in horror movies are fucking stupid i think there's only one scene in this movie where like a character acts stupid and it leads to their detriment it's later on we'll get to it then but for the most part people act smart they work in groups because they're working against a intelligent life form Mm -hmm. because the thing itself is kind of smart it only attacks you one-on-one it's like a chameleon or like it only strikes in the dark kind of thing yeah or if it's cornered and like people know of its existence, which we see in the uh, blood test scene, which we'll uh, get to. One thing I wanted to talk about is like we didn't touch on the element of like the fact that they're in Antarctica 
the temperature plays a big part. Like you can't go outside really late at night because it's so cold, like 40 below. It becomes like another aspect of like the elements of their environment working against them. Now there are times when they go outside and like after like it's already been established, like the thing has infected one of us, they burn up, you know, everybody's outside. You kind of get like that infamous, like they have like designated Kurt Russell McCready's character as like the leader. And they do that because one of the characters has another, has another break and like reaches for the, goes in for like the rifles and shotguns and stuff. It's the, uh, the radio guy. Yeah. Windows. He wears the sunglasses indoors. I was kind of wondering what caused him to do this because later on we find out that he's not infected unless it's just the paranoia like him yeah. trying to protect himself from everybody else i think he kind of has a break because like i think it's kind of in certain scenes like it kind of pans to him where he kind of like isn't like contributing dialogue and will like almost have like a fear and shock on his face and he's like you can tell like he's having like internal dialogue of like freaking out He's not cut out for this work. No, no, no. He's a radio guy. Yeah, exactly. And he's, and kind, he, he's kind of a hippie, too. And he, like, sits on the job and shit. And, like, I remember, like, the marshal, he, like, comes and wakes <laughs> him up one time. And he's like, there. He's like, we've been out here for, like, he turns, six weeks and no one's answered. How's anybody going to answer now? And he turns the static up on his on his uh, mm-hmm. headset and it wakes him up and he goes, ah, mm-hmm. so funny. But like, he's even seen in the background of uh, certain parts of the movie, like playing guitar on his own. Mm-hmm. Like he's uh, a little bit of a hippie. He's maybe a chill, pacifist. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he like, you know, they designated Kurt Russell as the character, as like the, the leader. He's like, maybe he's the sensible one. Mm-hmm. And like, even the marshal like gives up his gun. He's like, you know, it shouldn't be me if you guys are that. Like, this is good character building because like, the guys are trying to establish trust with each other and be like, look, I'm not infected. Like, I'm one of you. Like, if you don't believe me, take this. You know, mm-hmm. we kind of have like these moments of like these guys trying to fend for themselves and like just try to like, create like charisma between the characters of being like, you can trust me. And like Kurt Russell, they designate him as like the leader. And, you know, he he says that I know I'm human. Be- he's like, if I wasn't, I'd kill you all <laughs> like right now. <laughs> and... You know, one of us among us, uh, uh, among us, God, Jesus Christ, that stupid fucking game. This movie kind of feels like a game of Clue. Yes. In a way. it's That's know, what it's I mean like, by like Knives Out. Like it has like a mystery feel, like a whodunit. The thing cornered Binnings in uh-huh. the storage room. Uh, the mistrust. I think this second act of the movie is kind of where it's at its best to me. Because you've established like all this like like lore mythology and the elements that play a role into like the back half. Like we're talking about the weather, the mistrust, like who might be infected, who already is infected and like people that are already going crazy. And it's like the horror kind of takes a backseat for a while now. It's a lot of character drama stuff. I mean, it's very easily my favorite scenes in the movie where people are hanging out, but they don't trust each other. Kurt Russell's like in his little room and he's like recording uh, he's like making what's it called like uh, little memos on his yeah he's like tape if recorder. someone finds his tape kind of thing uh-huh it just builds really well and of course we haven't really talked about like the scene where Bennings is infected because they learn that something's not dead if it still has cellular 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 activity yes you're better at enunciating things than I am Bennings is infected by like the corpse because he's by himself and like you see tentacles come out from under the body bag the scene where he's like they show him being infected he's like wrapped up in the chair and like tentacles mm. are going through him it's so gross. nasty gross 
How, I want to get to the <laughs> I want to get to the part where the guy has a heart attack. Oh yeah, Norris, the uh, Irish-looking guy. He like has a in quotations heart attack. You know. Well, I think he really has a heart attack mm. because it says the thing can replicate a person perfectly. That guy might have already been on the brink of a heart attack. Well, what, the way I perceived it, that's a good way to put it. But I thought like maybe like it's coming at him on a cellular level because it looks like at times he's having like stru- like a chest pain or something. Mm-hmm. And like to me, like I almost thought like, oh, he's going to like burst or something. So maybe it was like a process kind of thing because we're talking about like cellular activity. Like maybe he got infected and like it's slowly working his way through his cells. <laughs> Dude, this scene... <laughs> fucking they're trying to like defibrillate you know those things they put on it's just like clear it fucking caves through his fucking body his chest opens up and they fucking cuts that guy's arms off from the elbow mm-hmm. <laughs> dude it's so 80s it's so perfect though oh, it's awesome. guys like holding up his stumps like, like they actually casted a guy with no arms oh my god to play it's not the character, like the Doc Copper, but for that one shot, they got a guy with no arms to wear the mask of the actor. Oh my god. So gosh. they could get the reaction shot of him oh not my having gosh. arms. A lot of work for a, literally a two second shot, yeah. if that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, old movie making. That's classic. Bro. It's awesome. No CGI. <laughs> they really had to like jump through a bunch of hoops, you know? Uh yeah, and then oh. like guy's fucking head. Because like uh. Oh my this god. This scene is so disgusting. Because in the trailer, I actually watched the trailer for this at, like two or three times before watching the film to like I like watching old movie trailers like when they release cuz it's like <laughs> I want to see like what the era of trailer making was. Yeah. And this scene it showed his head like pulling away from his chest and stuff like bursting. Oh, it's so disgusting. Like it like stretches apart and like green we're talking about like that green ooze popping out and shit. So disgusting. His head fucking pops off and it like becomes like this weird tentacle long neck and it's hanging in the air. <laughs> it's so disgusting, man. It's got like four stages of disgusting this uh-huh. in this. I mean, you got the chest opening up, his head th- popping off. The head popping off, the thing coming out of his chest with like his face on it. Uh-huh. Um, and then and- they burn it up, right? And then they flamethrower it, and then his head fucking like becomes- crawls away. Uh-huh. And it grows spider legs. Uh-huh. I just watched it chapter two, and it actually steals this scene verbatim. Really? In that movie. There's a decapitated head in the movie that grows spider legs. And someone turns around and sees it and says, you've got to be fucking kidding me, which is exactly what happens in the thing. It's a callback, man. It's I know, callback. It's, I know it's an om- like a homage, yeah. homage or whatever, but it feels really cheap in it mm. because it's a shit movie. And, <laughs> <laughs> in this movie, it's awesome. It grows little tentacle eyes. Yeah. And it like makes noises. It's so nasty. We forgot to mention that like, when they burn up one of the crew crew members because he didn't have enough time to change in his hands. He's got the claws. Yeah. And That's he, like the first time we get to hear like that audible sound. He like opens his mouth like and like he, makes this like wail. Like he can't verbalize like a human yet. Uh uh-huh. he sounds like a Godzilla kinda. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that or like the Velociraptors from the old Jurassic Parks. <laughs> you know like in Jurassic Park 3 where they're like they call the little bone that they uh, blow through speaking of Jurassic Park 
this is a real tie-in. The cinematographer for this movie, his name's like Dean Cundy, uh-huh. and he worked on a lot of famous movies. He did, you know, Halloween, this Jurassic Park, and our favorite movie to bring up on this on this podcast, Jack and Jill. What? <laughs> yes. What did he do in Jack and Jill? He was a cinematographer. Did he work on like the breast implants for uh, Adam the, Sandler or something? Just shots, I guess. I don't oh, know. Lord. The yeah. fucking Carnival Cruise fucking advertisement. Did he shoot that? How the Mighty Fall, man. I don't God know. God damn. Or Royal Caribbean or whatever it's, the fuck. So that was, um. I have to bring up Jack and Jill God. every fucking episode. I want to piss on that movie. I'm going to have to have like a program segment on every podcast we do called Alex Somehow Brings Up Jack and Jill. We need to have like an altar with like candlelight and like fucking that movie on like a pedestal because you worship <laughs> that film somehow. That movie is so disgusting. It lives in my head rent free. It's such a parasite, dude. Uh, but yeah, same cinematographer as this movie and like a ton of classics. So I don't know how that happened exactly. All of the paranoia, the distrust that we see going on, it all kind of builds to a head where we get the amazing blood test scene. Yes. And of course, like, Court Russell. Court. Court. I almost said Kurt Travis, like the singer from Dance, Gavin Dance. <laughs> uh, I'm all over the place right now. I've only had three beers. What's Annunciation, goddammit, you can do it. Yeah, I already have trouble enunciating things when I'm, like, sober. Kurt Russell, nobody trusts him mm-hmm. because his buddy, the uh, the roller skating guy, mm-hmm. uh, cut him loose when they were out in the Arctic they all think he's the thing, but he knows he's not the thing, so he kind of like forces everybody else into a situation where they have to like give their blood. It's because he's holding them hostage with thermite charges and stuff. Thermite charges, yeah. He's like, I'll blow this fucking camp up. This is kind of the scene that clears up a lot of the uh, ambiguous nature of like who's what. It kind of like it's a slow, like we've created all this tension. It's now it's time to release a little bit of it. And, like, we get, like, this nice slow burn of, like, going through each character. Because we got, like, two dead characters. The guy that's got his arms cut off. And and Clark. Uh, Clark, because he kills Clark because Clark tries to stab Kurt Russell's character, McCready, because McCready's yep. convinced that, like, he's the thing or something. I think it's nice that they include, like, human-on-human kills in this because it kind of, like, amps up the... The tension. The stakes, the tension. They say, like, now he's a mur- now you're a murderer. How does that feel? It only happens because the the mistrust. Mm-hmm. Even Wilford Brimley tells Kurt Russell, watch Clark. Mm-hmm. He's like the key, you know, like the prime suspect. Yeah. But it turns out Clark ain't infected. Even Copper, the, the doc, is not infected. I don't know how that works because he's bitten by the thing. And I thought maybe that'd be like a transfer of cells mm, in some yeah. way. But maybe it has to absorb you with like tentacles and that weird liquid that it shoots, you know. Ah, dude, this scene's brilliant. He's giving everybody a blood test, cutting their thumb, putting their blood in like a Petri dish. Mm -hmm. He knows that it'll react because each cell of the thing, uh, you know, like elements, like heat, It wants to stay alive. Yeah. Basically, it's like a survival tactic. Like it it refuses like uh, basically destroying the cells. Like he's, they put like a um, copper wire. He like cuts loose the insulation that insulates wire. And like, so you just reveal like the, the metal they get it like searing hot and he puts the hot wire in the blood to see if the thing will react because the blood is no longer blood. It's just the thing and an extension of the thing imitating the blood. So goes through each character, like cut, draws everybody's blood and you have, uh, it's like either three or four characters tied to a couch and 
you know, one by one, we get to see who is and who isn't. And it, and also, you think that like most of these characters by now are the thing because the, like the movie has like given you reasonable doubt to assume that like okay, maybe these characters are infected. It's really smart. It's a good way mm-hmm. to like release this tension because it releases the tension, but then it builds it right back <laughs> yeah. up at the end of the scene. I love how Carpenter does like reaction so- shots for everybody. You get these close-ups where uh, everybody's reacting, to mm-hmm. being tied up, or like they're about to get their blood tested, and they kind of seem like even the people that aren't the thing are afraid of the test result mm-hmm. because they don't know if if the thing has them. Are they aware of it? Yeah, you know, like another kind of like question about the mythology of what the alien is itself. They don't know, you know, like it's like a almost like a schizophrenic tendency like oh am i infected or not like yeah it's smart as fuck even the characters are relieved to see that they're not the thing like okay and i think the reveal of who is infected is kind of brilliant because the movie is kind of directing your attention towards gary the Mm -hmm. uh the keystone cop guy yeah and uh he even makes a comment like this doesn't prove anything and kurt russell says like Yeah, I thought you'd feel that way. Yeah. That's why I'm going to do you last. Yeah. And that's when he tests Palmer's blood, and he's the infected. So, like, you get a jump scare here, but it kind of feels earned in a way. Dude, him, like, shaking and, like, (sighs) oh, it's disgusting. And, like... His, like, head's busting open. Like, his eyes turn white. uh Uh-huh. Blood. And, like, he, like, eats... What's the character's name? The hippie guy. Uh, Windows. Like, grabs him by the head with his head that's, like, open cavity. It splits open, like, a big uh, parrot, like a jaw. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, he, like, takes him and he's, like, flailing him in the air with his head and shit. He's getting dragged around. The other two characters are, like, sitting on the couch, like, ah, let me the fuck loose. (laughs) Like, like, they don't want to get infected, you know? Like, Uh because they're sitting there helpless. It's, like, a, it's so crazy, dude. And they burn him the fuck up. And then, like... (laughs) Is Windows is when what happens to Windows character? Did like they kill him too? They burn him up. Yeah, because he starts. Does he start to change or something? I can't not remember. He's making the noise that the uh, thing makes. That weird uh, Godzilla sound yeah. effect. I want to comment on when they burn up Palmer and he like runs through through the wall of the building. <laughs> yeah. How thin are the walls <laughs> of this fucking place? Yeah, they're in the middle of like sub zero temperatures and. Uh, he just busts through. Like all this, yeah. This building has no insulation. <laughs> it's all, it's like a big wooden cabin. Basically. Uh, but funny. I do love the uh, the image of him running out on fire and he's like trying to put himself out in the snow and uh, Kurt Russell comes out and he throws one of the sticks of thermite or dynamite. Yeah, just, oh, dude, puts him into pieces, yeah. It's great. It's a great cap off to a very slow building scene. Mm-hmm. This is like 10 or 15 minutes of... Them just talking, testing blood samples. I wanted to say that one of our buddies, Nick, I talked to him about this at work. And he's like, yeah, it's one of my favorite horror movies. And he's like, I love this scene where he's like, he says. I already know, uh, I already know yeah, what you're going to yeah, say. He's like, if it's convenient for you guys, I'd like to spend the rest of the winter not tied to this fucking chair. <laughs> like, it's so good. The delivery of the yeah, line yeah, is excellent. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's good comedic relief. Uh-huh. Great. It's perfect. Because you like you know you need to check a second to cool the fuck off. You yeah, know? I like how the comedic relief like it's there, but it doesn't undercut the tension. Yeah, it's still in the context of the situation. It's not like like this guy's fed up. Like yeah, I'm not the thing. Get God me the fuck it, out of me, here. Yeah, perfect. It's perfect. 
they haven't given the blood test to Blair, right? Yes. And like he's the last character that they need that they like that's alive that like they need to give the <laughs> character uh, a blood test. And they said so they go back out to the the shack and he's not there. This is where they establish like we're gonna go out to he's like we're gonna go out to give the blood test if we're not back in thirty minutes or whatever. Like if he comes back and we're not with him, torch him. And uh, they go out there and like he's not in the shack. They like are examining the shack and like trying to figure out how he escaped. And they like notice the floorboards are like kind of loose. Or not kinda. They like, straight up loose. lift up. Yeah. I want to know how there's a cave underneath. Like it seems like something that would take uh, a minute. Like you see like in prisoner movies where like uh, an inmate escapes and they have to like use a spoon to crawl or to uh, dig out a hole for like a year straight or something. I think my only explanation as to why this could be done is because the thing is not human. Uh, And like when it's not in the presence of other humans, it can probably, you know, have all those extra tentacles appendages to dig and like the cold doesn't really think about the cold doesn't really affect it Mm -hmm. my big question is who got the blair and i know that like we know for a fact at this point that it was either palmer or norris yeah the only two known infected so far they could have just gone out and like opened the door and infected him i mean like he was by himself they could chosen any time to do it they could have opened that little hatch in the door you know Uh uh-huh got in there I think it gets a little goofy because they find like a half-built spaceship <laughs> yeah. in the in the <laughs> the cave, built from helicopter and tractor parts, uh-huh. and like it's a like, little goofy, yeah. It's like uh, it's science fiction, but it's 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 yeah. a little dumb, yeah. One thing I liked about this scene in particular is the cinematography. This is like where I kind of really like stepped back from like the the whole plot and like the tension that's been built. And they're kind of like going down with the flares. Like the flares have played a big part in the film. The way like the red lights up, like the cool ice, like the blue ice, you know. I thought like them walking down into like the cave was like, it was like a really nice shot, I yeah. thought. And like this movie like isn't like some spectacular visual film. Like obviously like the practical effects are like super complex and intricate. And like, you know, obviously the thing that's like the big visual spectacle as off-putting as it is like there really isn't like these scenes of like artistic showcasing you know uh when it comes no not really when I it mean, comes to like a painterly like i think the lighting yeah sh- uh shines more and like like you said the flares against the ice kind of creates this like purple lighting effect on everything and like well like in the generator room is like a good like a good like horror movie type of cinematography mm-hmm. but yeah they like they go down there and, you know, Blair isn't there. I forget what happens after this. Do like they they go back into the compound? I think they decide that they have to destroy everything. Yeah, because they know there's no way out. It becomes a suicide mission. Yeah. So they're like torching the entire building before they move down to those caves. Is this what you mean by Kurt Russell's character kind of showcased in the end, where he's kind of like an all or nothing kind of guy? Like, explain that to me. Like, because you're talking about well, the chess. I'll get to it. Okay. Okay. It, it plays more into the final confrontation with the thing itself. Yeah. And it might, it's not really a deep, you know, like mind blowing kind of thing. It's just like, it's something that I haven't noticed, but yeah, they like, they, they've decided that they're going to like torch the whole building. Like they start throwing like kerosene and like thermite charges into every room and start like setting the, the room on fire. Mm-hmm. Cause like the thing has cut off the generator and now like, Oh shit, we're all going to freeze to death. Cause there's no heat. Right. 
Like, so how we're going to stay alive is that we're going to just burn the building. Well, we they can- don't discover the generator's gone until they go down there. Uh-huh. But yes, the, they... They cut the generator. Even before they know that, they're blowing up the entire building. Yes, the next sequence of the movie, they go down to the caves, uh, which, like, you don't see before mm-hmm. beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't even know these this exists. It's like a big ice cave yeah. in the basement of this uh, Bunch facility. Of pipes. yeah. And uh, <laughs> I kind of like the, the comedic relief where the Keystone cop guy, Gary, I don't know why I keep calling him that. Keystone? <laughs> It's like a really old school thing. <laughs> he looks like a cop from yeah. like a 50s movie. He looks like the cops out of uh, Fargo. He, look, he just looks yes. like a fucking white dude. Exactly. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't, you know, hit up a you betcha or something. He's investigating the the generator area and he says to McCready, like, the generator's gone. <laughs> and he's and Kurt Russell says, well, why don't, like, can we fix it? And like, he's he turns like, around and no, he's it's like, gone. it's gone. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's removed. Yeah. I think this actually starts my least favorite five to ten minutes of the movie. Really? If I have any complaints about it, it kind of starts right here. One thing I did like about this scene, though, is that when the thing does actually take over the cop, this was a really good practical effect. Because he like, puts his fingers in his face. Mm-hmm. And like his skin and his fingers start m- mending together. It looks good. And he drags him. By the skin of By his face. By the skin that is hanging on. It's so good. It's such a good practical effect. That's one thing that I do miss about the CGI era that we live in. Like, I wish more stuff like this was implemented into film. With practical effects, you're looking at something. That's tangible. With uh, It takes me out of movies so often, looking at CG. You just know it's not there, and it doesn't have any impact on you. Unless it's a movie like Avatar, where like the movie is built upon CG. Sometimes CGI can be like super distasteful and like really remove you from like that immersive quality. I think this last few minutes, like the climax of the film, is kind of underwhelming to me because uh, you know, like uh, Gary gets taken by Wolfred Brimley and Nalls, the roller skating guy. He's the one guy that have the horror movie trope of walking away into the darkness without alerting McCready what he's doing, uh-huh. where it's like obvious at this point. It should be more obvious at this point than any other point in the movie, because he's seen everything that's happened. You stay together as a group. Mm. The thing won't reveal itself unless, you know, you catch it and you corner it and it has to show itself. He just walks away into the darkness and you never see him die, but you assume he does. Mm-hmm. And it's like, damn, I kind of liked that guy. Why'd he do that? Mm-hmm. But that's not my only complaint. The show off with the thing, it's like final form, at least what we see of the movie. I mean, like, obviously, after uh, McCready goes looking for Gary and Nalls, and like the floor starts to come up like an earthquake. Oh, uh, yeah. Almost like a uh, tremor. <laughs> I was thinking tremors. And like some of the special effects here are the most dated in the movie, where like they use some stop motion to show the uh, tentacle the come tentacles out of the ground, out, yeah, and it takes the TNT charge. It looks a little bad, yeah. And, uh, it's the one part of the movie where the special effects don't really work. It's not like a tension built scene or like a tension built reveal. It's like it just all the ha- monsters here. It just kind of happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the thing comes out of the ground and you see like it's gigantic now, mm. and I'm assuming it split off into parts and like collected the humans the bodies and stuff yeah it's got all the dogs the humans in it and like it splits off into like 
there's dog heads coming out of it and mm-hmm. eyes and tentacles and you're like this is about to be epic mm-hmm. and then McCready just throws some dynamite at it <laughs> yeah. and blows it up <laughs> and I'm like I can't decide if like it taking my expectations and throwing out out the window like that is cool or if it was kind of lame mm. and I don't know how you felt about that part I think it's kind of lame because yeah it's so removed from what the rest of the movie was kind of built upon as far as like the way the thing is revealed it kind of feels like a cheap trick you know like kind of feels like a, a cheap monster movie type of reveal and it's like it felt very b movie ish kind of i want what happened in at the end of the film i want something more subtle you know i want it's good that that scene is there at the end yes but this right here is kind of lame yeah and like it's okay like the rest of the movie like this happens so fast like obviously it's like, like two minutes maybe and i'm like screen time when you watch this like i know for a fact i was riddled with anxiety like i couldn't i was at the point where like i couldn't ask more questions i was just so caught up in like the spectacle and like the the angst and adrenaline like driven through the movie Mm -hmm. like i really didn't have a lot of time to question this but like now looking back on it like while we're talking about it the rest of the movie has been like a slow burn of like slight reveals and more questions and this felt like like a Godzilla or like a just a weird turn for the film to take like I don't think the the thing should be like some big eventful monster it should be like a subtle parasitic undetected kind of thing it should have came back as like a human yeah to trick Kurt Russell or exactly something. it should have been like hey man you do we gotta go this way or something it definitely goes against everything the movie has been building up yeah until this point against the grain for sure i think originally the plan was there was they were going to use stop motion to like make a i don't want to say a battle scene but more of a final scene mm-hmm. than what we got but like the limitations at the time and mm-hmm. the budget kind of stopped them from doing that and i'm not saying i wanted a big battle no because i just complained about that at the beginning of this episode about it yeah with the big battle against the clown spider at the end of that movie but it might have been better Maybe Rather than the, just like the like, '80s version, low budget of that probably would have been cooler. Ah, <sighs> uh, like it's like a foreplay, dude. Before sex, <laughs> <laughs> it's like we can have foreplay and sex, or we can just have foreplay. It's like no, just <laughs> no. Why the fuck would I just pick foreplay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean. It's, it's just like, it's odd, man. I guess maybe you can open up some questions as if, like, did one little stick of dynamite kill yeah. this thing? Like, is it still there? The main event is the last scene mm-hmm. with Kurt Russell and Childs. Mm-hmm. It's so weird, by the way. I didn't touch on this, but it's weird seeing him so young. Oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Keith Keith David. Yeah. He, I'm so used to him, like, being, like, a voiceover actor and, like, seeing him as, like, an older man in the present day. I always knew so him. so weird to see him young. I always knew him as he was the voice of the main gangster in the first Saints Row or Saints Row game. His voice is very distinguishable. Yeah, it's like a powerful voice. It's so weird to see it come out of such a young man. It's like seeing a young Morgan Freeman type of deal. Like it doesn't like that old wise voice doesn't make sense with the body that encompasses <laughs> it. I do love the last scene. Kurt Russell is like defeated. He's cold. He's ready to die. Everybody he's known has just died. He sits down in the snow. He's drinking his bottle of liquor. And Childs approaches him 
and they have a little standoff. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I know that you're not the thing? That you're not the thing. McCready makes a comment like, "Well, even if one, if we have any surprises for each other, we're not in any shape to do anything about it." Mm-hmm. And he says, "Why don't we just wait here a while and, and see, see what, what happens. happens?" And then the movie pans out, and that's the end of it. I think it's inferred that Childs is the thing. I don't know. Well, Kurt Russell is backlit in this scene from the fire behind him. And he's the only one that's breathing out. His breath is like freezing in the air. And Childs is not. And it's inferred like throughout the movie that the thing, while it may imitate, because it's like told in the autopsy and stuff, like they have human organs and stuff. It may not be like perfect, perfect. It might not be functional, you know. It's not like replicating the bodily functions, but it replicates the body parts type of deal. Mm -hmm. You can look at it a few ways. Like Kurt Russell could be the thing. You never know. I kind of assume that neither of them are the thing. Mm. But you don't get to see Childs for like the last 20 minutes of the movie until this last part. So it kind of comes at like a... There's a big mystery as to where he's been. Like yeah, why was he... explosions and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking the same thing. You can see his breath. I think it more has to do with like where they're shooting. The light on McCready is more prominent. So you can see the breath. Childs, not so much. And you'd have to do that super carefully like... If they're in the cold weather while they're shooting this, like you'd have to make sure that you couldn't see child's breath. Like you'd you'd have to shoot this in like a warm climate, and like yes. it would have to be a separate shot. So it's super complex as far as technically setting up the shot to like infer that child's is the thing. And child's is still wearing an earring. Which yes, the thing doesn't copy inorganic matter. And you could make a argument like, oh well, the thing is smart. So it could just pick up the earring and like repierce it or something, but like, yeah, it's just I think it's meant it's to all be spe- speculation, yeah, totally ambiguous. But that's what makes it work, yeah. Like you know, forty years later, people are still asking questions, man. Yeah, you can still ask these questions. Who was the first infected? How did Blair get infected? The ending, it's uh all up in the air. You know, it's it's so good. The movies that make you ask questions, but ask them in a way that's not like <laughs> detrimental can't. to the movie. It's done tastefully in a way that, like, it increases your enjoyment of a film. I really like this movie. Like, I am not a horror guy. I actually, like, shy away from them altogether. Like, I like if I'm watching a movie, that's the last genre on my list to watch. I'd rather watch fucking Gerard, Gerard Butler's fucking London Has Fallen than I would watch. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. You if, don't want you you to subject yourself to that. <laughs> White House down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just some stupid shit. I'd rather watch some stupid shit before I want to watch horror. But, like, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And it's good when, like, horror movies create mystery in a way that, like, actually feels like it's worth something. Like, I know I talked about, like, stupid movies like Ouija. And, like, I know there's, like, good horror films. Like, some people regard The Conjuring as, like, a good film. I've heard that, too. Yeah. Never seen it, though. I've seen the first one. It's okay. I'm just not a big fan of, like, paranormal stuff. I mean, I've seen the Paranormal Activity movies. They're fucking stupid. I hate Possession movies. The only one I've liked is Hereditary, honestly. And even that movie left me kind of puzzled. I'm just not a big fan of, like, super disgusting, like, distasteful shit. Like, I'm afraid to watch Midsommar. I've talked about it a million times. And I I talked to Trent about this. I told him, I said... I can't watch stuff like that because I know that the movie will sell me on the cult in a way and it will leave me. And I said, I cannot live with that knowledge. Mm. I cannot live with shit like that because I will sit there and like just 
it will destroy my consciousness. It it hurts me to like have knowledge like that to where it makes me ask questions. You even made a comment a couple of weeks ago before I even recommended the thing for the podcast, and you said I can do a horror movie if it's fun. Yeah. I had never seen the thing before, and I recommended it on a whim. I was gonna say that I, w- I went to ask you. you. You didn't watch this before you. No, I never recommended seen it. it. I knew almost nothing about it. Hell yeah! And uh, after I watched it, you were the, like, for the first time, like I knew I liked it, but I thought, man, Austin is gonna fucking hate <laughs> this movie. It is so disgusting. Like it's not. It's not fun. It's a feel bad movie. I disagree. I think it's actually fun. Well, there's parts, but I think some of the disgusting stuff might outweigh it for a, certain audience members. Might they might not be able to look past that? Mm. And I thought you might be in that camp. Mm. I was like, damn it, Austin is going to be checked out. He's going to uh, hate this shit. No, because I think while it is super grotesque, I think the rest of the elements of the film work to the advantage of like the gore the, like the science fiction the action yeah, the, the character mystery, drama all these things they help play a good role like even I want the a comedy film. yeah exactly even the comedy kind of works in this i don't uh, i don't want a film that like just grosses me out to gross me out and like i know i, I mean i've talked to my father about this a few times like when i was younger but like i talked to him about the saw films and stuff and he said you got you can watch the first one but the rest of them after that just get gross to be gross the first one's kind of all right honestly and, yeah. and he said like some things are just gory to be gory for the gore factor that's kind of like this movie like the movie doesn't just be gory to be gory it actually serves a purpose towards the story it's not like it makes the mythology of the thing more believable exactly. to me it's not distasteful, even though like it's super off-putting and grotesque, and like I have to turn away and not pay attention to it for a second, like just like make it through. <laughs> yeah. It's still like it serves a story, and it like yeah, man, I enjoyed the fuck out of it. I'm glad. Man. I'm not like I'm not mad at you for recommending it. Like I'm glad I got to watch it. I wouldn't have ever watched it by myself probably. And I think like going forward, I would probably watch another movie like this. Like it's not like I can I can stomach it. I just want to be like encapsulated and intrigued by a film. I just mm-hmm. don't want to be like I don't want it all to be like a showcase of like stupid bullshit. It, it has to be a good script. Exactly. Which this movie has. Unless you have anything else to bring up, if you had to give it a rating, what would it be, Austin? Like it's not masterful, like and like I don't feel like it's some masterpiece. Like I don't think it's like some perfect horror film. Because, like, some, I'm not going to lie to you, some of the cheesy aspects of, like, the blowing up of, like, the burning of, like, thermite charges and stuff, it kind of feels cheesy. But, like, I can respect it. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, an 80s film. It kind of plays into, like, the action tropes they had during the 80s and stuff. So, it's not a big deal. I might not return to it for a while, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I want to put myself through that again. But, like, this would be, like, a movie I would be, like, oh, you like horror movies? Have you ever seen The Thing? Like, I'm limited with horror movies and stuff. Same. I point somebody here, you know? Somebody that wants to watch, like, I don't know, something they need to cuddle up with their fucking partner and, be like, if their (laughs) fucking girlfriend needs to cover their eyes, just like, you can snuggle up in this chest, girl. It's not a big deal. You know, it just... It's the perfect uh, Netflix and chill. Oh, this is not a Netflix and chill, dude. Could you imagine fucking during penetration, your girlfriend looks over and sees a fucking dog's head splitting in half? (laughs) Yeah, there's no chilling on this movie. I don't fucking dry up a pussy like <laughs> the fucking Sahara yeah. Desert. <laughs> Why'd I know you were going to say that? <laughs> uh, for me, 
I really love this movie, and like you, I'm not a big horror guy, but I think this is one I'll return to. I even watched it over three times in the last two weeks, and every rewatch was more enjoyable than the last, and I think I'll rewatch it in years to come. This is a good, like, October, Halloween, spooky season movie. It might be one of those instant favorites. I can't say it. Like, I'm not going to say it's, like, top five movies of all yeah, time for yeah. me. Like, it's not there yet. You know, I just watched it. It's a lot of fun, though, right? It's, like, a fun watch. Yeah. And, like, even if I watch it a year from now, I'll still have those questions mm-hmm. about the ending or, like, who got infected first. Uh, so for me, I'm gonna give it like a nine to nine point five, really? probably. Hell yeah! With the right to reserve a ten later on, mm-hmm. kind of like how I felt about the lighthouse mm-hmm. when I saw it. That movie, you know, perfect ten. Now yeah. I've had some time to digest it. Such a great film. It might be one of those movies for me. You know, classic. Hell yeah. yeah. No, it, it definitely is a classic. I totally agree with you. But yeah, dude, I absolutely loved it. This was a lot of fun because, like I said, I never would have. Never would have came around to watching this film. So, Austin, I give you the floor to recommend what we're going to be watching or listening to next. Well, I know you wouldn't have caught on by now, but I'm really going to throw you for a curveball here. You don't say. I can never guess what you're going to do. You always throw me for a uh, fucking curveball. Well, speaking of curveballs, we're going to watch our first sports movie. I know you didn't notice because I'm always wearing a hat. But I'm wearing an Oakland A's, Oakland Athletics hat right now. And I specifically wore this hat. I'm pulling a, uh, an Alex Getter, David Bowie type of bullshit here. <laughs> yeah. Really, really leaning into it, you know. In the famous words of, uh, of Brad Pitt, how can you not be romantic about baseball? You and I are going to watch Moneyball. Moneyball. I watched this movie before I watched The Thing this week. This movie's like 10 years old. Was it the first time you've seen it? No, 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 no. I've seen this movie. It's probably like my third or fourth time watching it. I can't wait to like lean into this movie. It's like a sports movie, not about sports. It's all about math and like against the system, against the grain. It's a masterful film. It's a masterpiece in my opinion. And we'll get there when we watch it and talk about it. We haven't talked about a sports movie, (laughs) even though this is like far from it in a way. Can't wait to like just lean into this film. This is something I've wanted to talk about for a while. Yeah, I can't wait, man. It's going to be hype. So I saw this movie for the first time at the beginning of 2021, Mm. actually. I know it's been out for 10 years, and uh, I really liked it. I'm not a big sports guy, but I really love stories that kind of focus on the outside, like the uh, inner workings of like management and stuff. And like I think I've said it on the podcast before, but I've been watching the show Ted Lasso which is about yep. like management of a soccer team. It's great. That kind of stuff, I'm kind of a sucker for. It's got, what, Brad Pitt, Jonah, Jonah Hill, Hill. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah, it's uh, It's going to be who directs that. Oh, I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. There's a lot we're going to talk about. Cinematography, soundtrack, story, plot. Like. And it's based on a true story, so you can kind of, we can do research on what's happened since then yep. and like kind of draw it into like the story itself. I want to talk about this movie because I think it'll be right up our alley. I'm not a big sports movie guy. This film, it does everything that a sports movie is not really about and kind of creates more of a a slice of life narrative that I think is a lot more powerful than like a team just winning kind of thing. It'll be a lot of fun to lean into. There's so much I want to talk about. I'm probably going to watch this movie like three or four times. I've already seen it once this week. I can't wait, man. It's going to be a good time. I uh, can't wait either, man. 
We did the thing, dude. We did the thing on the thing on the we, podcast. We did the damn thing. Whew. That movie was so fucking disgusting. <laughs> that was a lot you'll, of fun, though. You'll have those images burn into your mind. I cannot maybe think forever. About, I can't think about the. I can't stop thinking about the fur, like the furless dog, <laughs> like in the, the kennel, the heart popping open. Uh huh. Ah, oh, dude, it's disgusting. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that was a lot of fun. Sign these motherfuckers out. Adios.